my wife actually said something the other day. We were riding in the car, and it kind of struck a chord with me, but I just laughed. She's, I was on the phone coaching somebody. I had to, you know, do a coaching call from the car and she was in the car with me. We get off the phone and she goes, you know, you're actually kind of stupid. And I was like, what? <laughs> Hold up. What? She goes, you're not that smart. It's just your ability to absorb information and execute on what you hear or read. Nobody else can do it like that. I think it's true. Like I'm not that smart, but I can hear an idea or a theory and I can turn it into action pretty quick. Dude, I can relate to that. My wife calls me stupid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my wife's way smarter than me. And, and look, I know people that are genius, but they don't turn that genius into action. And if you don't take massive action, you know, driven towards towards a, a North Star, then, you know, you're just kind of treading water. Dude, that's why I love our podcast when we say we're not a genius. It literally, literally does not take a genius no. with a big IQ to execute no. different businesses no. or different ideas. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Not a Genius Podcast. My name is Jesse Wynn. My name is Josh Hutton. And today we got Ren Bartlett, straight out of Alabama. He's currently doing wholesale flipping, running a really big operation. He's working with some of my mentors, Clint Cooper and Tyler Evans out of Atlanta. So it's super amazing to have him here. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you so much for coming out here, Ren. On Thank this, you. Man, early Wednesday yeah. morning. Short notice early. too. Yeah. No, I appreciate it, guys. I'm glad to be here. So did you... Uh were you flying that plane? Because we saw your story like coming into Tampa. <laughs> no, I wasn't flying it. No, no, just riding shotgun. Do you ride that plane often or...? Uh, it's a buddy's plane. And so, you know, whenever I get the chance, whenever I can con him out of some hours, I jump in it, but I'm training to get my pilot's license now. So Dude, that's yeah. awesome. What's the yeah. timeline of that thing? To get your pilot, private pilot's license, it's about 40 hours. So three to six months, depending on how fast you okay. go. Yeah. Unless you're just trying to cram it all into one, you know, <laughs> one month. Yeah. But, uh, no, nah, it's cool. I love it. Are you in the beginning stages of getting that pilot's license? About 20 hours in. Wow. So you're halfway okay. through. Close to halfway through, yeah. Are you going to try rent a plane or are you going to... I'm going to buy one. You're going to buy one? Yeah, we have one under contract right now. Me and four of my buddies all went in on a Cessna 421, uh, which is a bigger uh, dual engine, uh, seats eight people, pretty fast, goes about 200 miles an hour. So um, yeah, we should close on it in the next 60 days. Wow, dude. Now, is that like is that like a private jet plane or is that... It's like not a jet. Prop okay. plane. Okay. Prop plane. He's got the propeller. Yeah. Okay. So like way cheaper, <laughs> way cheaper to maintain. Uh, not, I'm not Grant Cardone level yet, but we're getting there. Can you get Wi-Fi on the plane? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the first question that everybody asks, but that's like 30 grand to get Wi-Fi installed on a plane, maybe more. It's expensive. Is it worth it? Yeah. Is it like the is it like the American Airlines Wi-Fi? Yeah. It's, it would be just like that same uh, service provider. Um, I think it would be worth it. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Like, yeah. But that do? that plane specifically, you're typically your max trip on something like that is probably going to be four to five hours. You know, okay. which will get you pretty far. Like yeah. in that plane, you could definitely get up to. You know, uh, let's see, four to five hours. You're getting to the Bahamas in three and a half hours. You could get over to Mexico, Dallas. Um, you know, you could get up to like St. Louis. For sure. You know, get to Breckenridge in, in two jumps. One leg, uh, you know, have to stop for fuel one time. Mm -hmm. So well, you're going to put, are you going to put pilot on your life resume next? Dude, that's freaking awesome. Man. Yeah, I hope so soon. That's the goal. You're really well known inside the industry for real estate 
investments and you're apparently i looked and saw your facebook profile you said you're the coo whisper it's like man <laughs> you got a lot of cool titles to yourself but can we like hear about your origin story kind of how you came up and um how you get to where you are today yeah so i got to tell a story uh on steve Chang's podcast the other day and i'd really like it's the first time i'd ever like connected from beginning to where i am now but um i grew up in mobile alabama um Pretty, pretty humble beginnings. My mom was a single mom, me and my brother. And, uh, you know, I was a, a really big troublemaker. Like, got, you know, that's what all the uh, parents' kid, the, the, my friend's parents called me. I was a troublemaker. I was a black sheep. So, but uh, I was just misdirected. I didn't have any good mentors or any, you know, strong men in my life to show me what, what a good man was. But anyway, uh, so went through high school, went off to college, uh, tried to go to the University of Alabama, couldn't get in. So I went to the junior college, which I flunked out of uh, shortly after, liked to party, right? My priorities were not aligned. Uh, after I dropped out of school, I moved down to Orange Beach, which is on the coast in Alabama, and uh, kind of couch surfed there for a while um, wow. and bartended at night. And then I ended up having a kid. And that kind of, you know, was a big paradigm shift for me. And uh, I was still bartending in a bar. I got fired. I was selling everything in my house to pay rent. And this guy um, called me off Craigslist to buy a mattress for his son that was going off to college. And he pulled up and he was wearing a suit, uh, talking on the phone. And he just on the phone the whole time. He walks in. He asks, uh, kind of looks at the mattress, kicks it. And he's like, nah. As he was leaving, I'm like, hey, man, what do you what do you do for a living? And he's like, I run an advertising agency. And something just inspired me to say, I'm coming to work for you. And he kind of looked at me and laughed and said, <laughs> no, you're not. Got in his car and, put, and drove off. But uh, I had his phone number, right? Yeah. And so I called him like every day because uh, I'd kind of been tinkering around with building websites and trying to teach myself how to do that. And um, after about two weeks of just blowing him up, he was like, listen, just come in and interview with my my team. And so I did, and we hit it off really well, built really well, good rapport. And he was like, dude, the team loves you, but I don't I don't really have a job for you. I don't have any money to pay you. And I was like, I'll work for free. Just let me come in here. And so I started coming in there every day. Actually, I was <laughs> talking to my mom about this. My mom took me to the Goodwill store and bought me some, like, dress clothes. Yeah. You know, it's thrift store. So big jackets, didn't fit, <laughs> nothing's tailored, you know. And, um, so I just started showing up and finding stuff to do. I got really good at building websites. I started, he was, uh, he, he made car commercials for a couple like Buick and Kia de or, uh, Honda dealerships, but he really didn't offer anything else. And I seemed to need to like do some social media management for him and do some, uh, website design. And so somebody come and asked him, could he build a website? He said, yes. And I went out and sold him on the website. I built it. When it was done, we delivered the site. He come in and handed me a $2,000 check. And I was like, what's this? And he was like, that's your commission for selling this website. And I was like, man, I'm in sales now. I don't want to build websites no more. I want to sell stuff. So just started self-educating, reading a lot of sales books. And we we did pretty well with that company. Um, he ended up firing me like two years later because <laughs> I was a dick. And, uh, you know, I just, my head got really big. I thought, you know, I was making like $50,000 a year, which is laughable now. Um, 
But, uh, you know, I just, I got a bit of an ego and he, I think he had to check me, which was a really good thing. He and I are still really good friends. I care very dearly for that guy, but I went on to work at another agency and then I started, you know, making a lot of content, making a lot of content. And, uh, a guy that I had partnered with in the past, he just, I think watched one of my videos and it, it resonated with him and he offered me a job. He had a little wholesaling company that I think had done, like 60 or 70 deals the year before. So I come on there as the director of marketing and sales and, uh, you know, fast forward five years and, uh, the year that I left that company, which was this year in January, they should do over 1200 deals, probably North of $20 million in uh wholesale fees. So we built it up pretty big, pretty quick, over 200 employees they have now. Wow. So that's nuts. Yeah. Going back to when you had, seen the guy at i mean i guess at your house and you were selling the mattress to him what was your intention in you know offering to work for free what did you want to get out of that what did you see in that opportunity or uh just a shot you know i i was sick of bartending and i had it in my mind that i wanted an office job right i didn't want to work nights anymore i didn't want to deal with uh that customer service aspect and i'd applied for a bunch of jobs And, you know, I didn't have a college degree. I had no experience outside of the hospitality industry. And um, I just knew something in my mind told me, man, I'm going to have to, like, go to work for free and still bartend at night until I can build a skill set that somebody is willing to pay for. And so that was kind of, you know, the the angle that I took with it. And how long were you working for free before you developed that skill set? I think it was about four or five weeks in. I think he started to feel sorry for me. <laughs> and he was like, man, I'm going to give you $250 a week. And I was super thankful because I was still, you know, I got another job at night working in a bar. But I was coming in like really early, five o'clock. I started listening to like Gary Vee and Grant Cardone. And, you know, I just knew that I had to outwork everybody else to build some type of skill set to make myself valuable. And, uh, yeah, four or five weeks he started giving me a little paycheck but then i started getting sales and i started going back to his clients and selling them social media packages and websites and stuff like that and really started uh or understood that i had to build up some sales acumen right i'm typically pretty good by nature of building rapport with people and connecting with people but i knew that hey uh seems like this sales thing's pretty high paying job you can make a lot of money doing that and i knew that I needed to be educated on it, right? So it's kind of kind of where it landed. So what was the how long ago was that when you first got into the marketing agency? Probably seven years ago. Oh my gosh, dude! <laughs> you sound like a seven year overnight success. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <for laughs> so, seven year. So overnight you, success. you said you worked there for two, right? And then it was about two years. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe yeah, about two years. I think dude, that is so crazy. That is crazy. That that just makes it like feel wow ren bartlett was literally not ren bartlett like eight (laughs) eight years ago yeah you were literally struggling less than a decade ago yeah struggling big time what the heck literally like what changed and it sounded like oh you went to work and then you were listening to gary v and all these different podcasts or like these different people talk but were you doing that prior to getting to the marketing agency or because I know from talking to Clint and Tyler that you read a lot. You're a big reader. You're yeah. an information junkie, but you're a big implementer. Yeah, so yeah. It's like, um, what got you into the habit? I don't, I don't, I don't really know. It it definitely happened. Um, 
I think it just exposure, right? I um, stumbled across some Gary V videos and, you know, everybody, you've heard it before, you're the sum of the five people that you hang out with the most. Well, at that time, the five people that I hung out with the most went out and got drunk every night, went and smoked pot every day, you know, and I, I think I realized that I got some exposure, even though I wasn't able to physically hang out with them. That's one of the great, I tell people all the time, they're like, well, I don't have anybody like that to hang out with. And I'm like, man, you do go to YouTube. You don't have to physically be with someone. You can, you know, listen and absorb podcasts like this. You can go to YouTube videos, you know, whatever you got to do. You don't have to physically be in their presence to hang out with them and consume, you know, their energy and what they can give you. But I just started reading. There was a book, one of the first books that I read um, from cover to cover was Grant Cardone's 10X. Somebody gave it to me, like just in passing. It was like, here, you should read this book. You're just starting out, read this book. And I think he talks there a little bit about it in there. And then I, I was like, really enjoyed that book. It was the first book I actually ever read. And then I was at the flea market and I went to the, I asked to go to the business book section. And he showed me like in our flea market in Mobile, there's this huge like book section. And I walked in and there was just this thick book that said the law of success. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen Napoleon Hill's book, but it's like literally a thousand pages. And it's so thick that I could see it as I was walking up to it. And I was like, man, so I picked it up. And that book, I think, really changed my life. And it talks a lot about uh, the, the power of your sphere of influence and being in masterminds and being around other people and just how to begin to think and how to change the narrative inside of your own mind, right? Which, you know, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza says that if, I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff, he's got a really good book called breaking the habit of being yourself, but he says that your thoughts turn to your actions, your actions turn to your character. And over time, your character becomes your personality. So you can literally change who you are by controlling your thoughts, Wow, which is super powerful. Right. If you think about it, everybody thinks that they're born who they are. It's not true. Right. You're, you're a product of your thoughts ultimately. So what do you do on like a daily? Is it like a daily thing you do to control your thoughts? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a really big fan of uh, writing my goals every day. Right. And I have this little ritual when I get in the shower uh, in the mornings, right? Nobody wants to wake up early, really. I mean, there are those weirdos that like enjoy getting <laughs> up at 4 a.m. And I think you can rewire your brain to want to do that. But T Tony Robbins talks about it. You have to be able to control your mental state, right? Change your energy. And so one way, there's two things that I do pretty much every day is when I get in the shower, man, I just flood my mind with positive thoughts, like whatever comes to mind, you know, um, Today's going to be a great day. I'm going to win today. I'm going to be a blessing to someone today, right? And I just keep on, and I can like physically feel my energy begin to change, right? And my yeah. mood, and as I wake up, then I hit that cold water, and it really uh. jolts me, right? And then, you know, I go on about my day, and, and at some point uh, before I get started with my work day, I have a goal book that I've been writing in since um, probably 2016, yeah. And I, I promise you, like, I can go back and show you. I keep them all. They're little journals. Everything I've ever written in that gold book has come true. Wow. Like, just randomly one day I was, I, I wrote, um, I'm going to be a real estate investor. Like, back when I worked at the first marketing agency, I didn't know, I rented a house. I, you know, I didn't know anything mm -hmm. about it, but I knew that uh, people that were in real estate built wealth. And I knew it was something to do. And I just kept writing it every day. And, Fast forward today and 
you know, some people would call me a real estate investor. So what set you apart? Like literally what made you successful, you know, besides like the you know typical answers of being very consistent or maybe perseverance, but like what's, what's a unique superpower that you developed over the years that, you know, maybe not everybody has and it takes some time to get. I think it's a few things, right? And they all weren't there in the beginning, right? You have to develop them. But uh, the first thing was like pretty good Mm self-awareness, right? I knew I was, uh, you know, not the brightest crayon in the box. I didn't have the best rhetoric. You know, I didn't have the largest vocabulary. I still can't do long division or math (laughs) or anything. Like like you throw a fraction in front of me, I freak out, right? Um, But I I knew that I knew that I was going to have to outwork everybody, right? And so tenacity and just, you know, and I tell people too, like uh, somebody, I I think it, uh, at some point in time, somebody was at my house in my office and they asked me like a similar question, like, dude, how did you do what you've done so quick? And it, I didn't really have a good answer, but I kind of looked up and I have this bookshelf, right? The wall, it's just a whole wall. And I said, I just pointed to those books. I'm like that I, I, I read, you know, um, a lot, right? Every great person, every Titan of industry, everybody that is mega successful, they give you a blueprint. You know, they tell you, like, if you look, like, I've been reading a lot on, like, Rockefeller right now, and he he literally, um, they published 40, I think it's letters, Rockefeller's 43 letters. He wrote 43 letters over a period of time to his son in a journal, and they gave him, I think they gave him to his son when he passed away. But it's just, like, the nuts and bolts, the blocking and the tackling of his strategy and how he thought about different situations. And, you know, um, Napoleon Hill spent an entire career going around and studying the most successful people and then published book after book after book on exactly what they did. And I think it's believing in yourself that, hey, just because I am from this family or my skin color is this color or I have this accent doesn't mean that I can't do what they do. Because if you look at most of those people, they were born in poverty, yeah. right? Most great people that have built a legacy. And that was their advantage, right? They didn't have a silver spoon or they had to adapt and figure out how to be innovative because they didn't have all of the resources that other people that were more fortunate had, right? And I think maybe I had to adapt and how I adapt was self-awareness to know that, I got to close the gap, right? Because the people that I'm trying to get a job and compete against, they graduated college, right? They know big words and they know how to do fractions, things like that. And so I just read everything that I could read. Wow. And it's not just reading everything that you can read because I've heard Alex Hermosi speak about, oh man, people would read like 50 to 100 books a year, but then implement absolutely nothing. And they're on to the next book and on to the next book. So how do you keep yourself from just reading books for the sake of reading books. Yeah. It sounds like you're a great implementer. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. My wife actually said something the other day. We were riding in the car and it kind of struck a chord with me, but I just laughed. She's I was on the phone coaching somebody. I had to, you know, do a coaching call from the car and she was in the car with me. We get off the phone and she goes, 
she really hit me, right? She jammed me. She goes, you know, you're actually kind of stupid. And I was like, what? <laughs> Hold up, what? She goes, you're not that smart. It's just your ability to absorb information and execute on what you hear or read. Nobody else can do it like that, right? And so I think that's it. You know, I, she was being, you know, she was just kind of, you know, joking around with me. But I think it's true. Like, I'm not that smart, but I can hear an idea are a theory and I can turn it into action pretty quick. Dude, I can relate to that. My wife calls me stupid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my wife's way smarter than me. And, and look, I know people that are genius, but they don't turn that genius into action. And if you don't take massive action, you know, driven towards, towards a, a North star, then, you know, you're just kind of treading water. Dude, that's why I love our podcast when we say we're not a genius. It literally, it literally does not take a genius no. with a big IQ to execute no. different businesses no. or different ideas. I think anybody can achieve high success, you know, with the right level of determination, self awareness, with the right people around them, staying positive, implementing those, uh, you know, different strategies. It's like, yeah, like you said in the beginning, like those five people that you put into your life, mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be the average of those people. And I think another thing too is as people begin to find some level of success, a lot of a lot of people grow very content, right? Mm -hmm. My grandmama used to say, if you're not ripening, you're rottening, right? And I think there's some truth to that. You know, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You know, even if you stay the same, you're getting worse because other people are getting better. And so I think there's levels to it as well. Like I found some pretty quick success and then found that we hit a ceiling because I lacked in other areas. Right. And mm -hmm. so what got you here will not get you there. And you have to continue to learn and you have to continue to be self-aware enough to say, Hey, this for right now in this season in my business, these are the skills that I have to build to get to the next level. I really wanted to kind of hit on, you joining Padley, which is Clint Cooper, Tyler Evans' company. Now you're also the third partner. So congratulations to joining that. Yeah. I also want to know, like, from the previous business going into this new uh, new business, new venture, a little bit younger of a company, but really great organization and structure. Like, what are you going to do differently that's going to impact that organization in a positive way that's going to kick the butt of your previous organization, you know, or maybe – you know, yeah, I, I'm great. not I'm not worried about kicking the butt of the previous organization. Yeah. I, I truly hope that they thrive and prosper. There's a lot of amazing people that work there. Um, and I, I don't know that I'll do anything much too different. Maybe the path in which we take will be different than that of the previous company, just because of my background of experience. I know, you know, hey, we went left when we should have went right. We went right when we should have went left. But, um, you know, where where Clint and and Tyler and Padley are, they're in a very similar position to where when I came on to my previous company back in 2017, right? Small team, um, working on structure, working on core values, working on the disciplines that it takes to be be successful, and working on developing leaders within the organization. That is one of the primary drivers of success is when you can begin to develop leaders, yeah. right? You know, you don't just want doers, you know, you got to have people, smart people that are driven and aligned with your core values and your mission. And you got to have trust and you got to give them a goal and get out of their way. 
Right. And that's yeah. what we're working on now at Padley is figuring out how to develop leaders, right? And figuring out who, what our unique abilities are, each as three owners, and then just getting after it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's difficult, especially right now, because the market's changing, right? They previously, previous to the shift in the hedge funds, they were pretty much selling everything to hedge funds, right? And doing super well. The hedge funds cut off, so the buyers cut off, right? And so we're having to change that model a little bit there and begin to build a buyer's list and uh, change our buy box and our criteria. But ultimately, it's infrastructure and salespeople, infrastructure and salespeople, right? We're, we're fortunate that in that market, uh, the profitability, I believe, and the volume, profitability be, can be much higher because of the median house prices is, is almost three times of that were in the previous markets that I, I was in. And what I've found from the research that I've done is your average wholesale fee typically trails about 10% of the median house price, right? So, you know, in South Alabama, the median house price is 137,000. So it gives you about a 12, five, 12,000, 13,000 wholesale fee in Atlanta. It could be, you know, I think it's, uh, 375 so you can see a 30 30,000 wholesale fee and you can do um your margins are just better when your widget which is the transaction has that type of uh spread to it yeah clint tyler talked about how you just fit right in like the core values were just such a good fit like so good can you speak more like man what are core values literally what are your personal core values and how did you align with those guys so I'll tell you like how to figure out your core values and that may give some context. Yeah. And so there's an exercise that I learned from Sharper when we first set our core values like way back in the day. But what they have you do is write down three people that you really admire and then five characteristics about those people, right? That, that you admire about them. Mm -hmm. And then you take and say, you know, where in these are the duplicates, you know, if I said, uh, you know, Tyler, one thing that I admire, admire about Tyler is he's very disciplined. And then Clint, uh, one thing that I admire about him is very disciplined, right? Then my, one of my personal core values would be discipline, right? Which, which it happens to be. And so you try to come up with them. And then the second step to that is you have to have distinctions in those core values, meaning you have to really spell out what they mean, right? Very distinctively. So there's no room for interpretation because I can, you know, a, a great example of that is integrity, right? You could ask, you know, five different people what their definition of integrity is, and it's possible that you get five different definitions, Right. And so you want it to be very distinctive and very clear as to what it is. I was uh, mentoring um, Tyler and Clint and, and, and uh, you know, they found out I was leaving my previous company and they were like, man, we think it'd be a good fit. We know that you have the ability to, to grow our company. We'd like to make you an offer. Um, and I just I just felt like it felt right. Right. I felt like they were both great human beings. And, um, I felt like that we shared a lot of values. So then we came together and built out our, our core values together, right. As a, as an executive team. And, um, I, I think there was complete alignment, right. But partnerships are hard. They, they're hard, right. You know, especially when there's three, two's hard, you know, you add in a third one, it becomes even more intense. But I think the good news is, is, is the partnership that we've started. I think we have very clear expectations of each other in the roles. And, um, I think that, uh, 
while most people wouldn't see this as a good thing, but we, we've begun our partnership in the, one of the toughest markets that mm -hmm. anyone that hasn't been in real estate in the past 10 years has ever seen. Right. And so, um, it will test us early and often. And when we come out the other side, we're going to be prepared and positioned to just launch, right? We're going to be dialed in and, uh, it's easy to be a peacetime general, right? Nobody wants to be a wartime general, right? It shows you who your real warriors are when you're a wartime general. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So going back a little, you said that, um, you develop skills to get to one level and then you need to develop new skills to get to the next level. So what skills would you say you're developing currently and what level are you trying to get to? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, currently I'm, I'm really focused on like language, right? Because as a business owner, as, as just a human, right? The most powerful tool that you have in your toolbox is language, right? And your ability to communicate and then how others perceive and understand the communication that, that you've given to them, right? And that language piece is extremely crucial. And so I'm, I'm very intentional now with my team and with myself because um, I can be a bit of a hothead when things aren't going right, right? My natural tendency is just to snap and just go into Hulk mode and tell everybody to get out of my way and I'll do it myself. And, you know, and I learned long time ago that that is extremely ineffective. Um, and so I, I'm just really working on my management style, my language and continuing to develop um, as a leader. Right. And then continuing to develop um, my financial acumen, right? Because it's probably the weakest skills, the weakest tool in my toolbox. Um, because, you know, as you continue to level up and level up, when you're wholesaling 10 or 20 deals, right? You don't have to be dialed in in finance. You know, 20K comes in, 20K goes out, right? Um, but as you begin to level up and you start to look to do different deals and syndicate apartment complexes and restructure debt on portfolios and things like that, you got to have a level of sophistication and a level of financial acumen uh, to play the game at a different level, right? You go from playing checkers to playing chess, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. So what goals did you write down this morning after you took that shower? So there, there's about, um, about 20 of them. Okay. Right. Uh, probably a third are, um, affirmations, a third are financial and then a third are personal goals. I'll tell you the biggest one because every year, what I noticed is every year I write it and it just keeps coming true, keeps coming true. Right. And sometimes one will roll over into the next year, but eventually, but the biggest and, and most audacious goal now is that I, that I own an NBA team. Really? Right? Yeah. Wow. What I team? really, huh? Probably the Pelicans. I think they're probably the cheapest, and, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a huge Pelicans fan. I have season tickets. You know, <laughs> is they're it the, because they're the cheapest? <laughs> the che I think they're probably the cheapest. Um, but no, I mean, I figured why not? I love basketball. You know, I love sports and, um, you know, shoot high. Right. So that, yeah. you know, getting my pilot's license is on there, you know, continuing to be a multiplier and affect people. Um, but, but the first thing that, you know, in, in Napoleon Hill's book, the law of success, it talks about a chief definite aim, right. For your life. And, um, you, you have to have that North star, the chief definite aim, 
and if you accomplish that, everything else kind of falls into place. Right. And so, uh, my chief definite aim is to build a $500 million, uh, real estate empire and a legacy family that puts God first to make the world a better place. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So that's the overarching goal. Right. So, so I want to transition over to you doing leadership stuff pertaining to collective genius, because I really appreciate you being here on the podcast this morning. Like you really did not have to, and you just wanted to give your time to us and sure. Hey, we want to take that very seriously and honor that. And you know, you have such a successful business, successful background, and you're growing so much at a super high pace and you're spending your time at collective genius this past week in order to pour into all these different investors from around the country. I really want to know, like what stirred that desire within your heart to give to other people in, to that capacity and work so hard because I see what Leon does. I see what Brian does. I see what you do. I'm just like, wow, that's, this is some draining work, but yeah, it sounds rewarding. You know, it is, it is, it is hard work, but you know, I, I told Jason last night at dinner, I said, man, you know, I, ca I called my wife today after this was done. I was just full of life, full of energy. Like nothing fills my cup up more than than being there. And it start when we came into Collective Genius, we thought we were hot shit. Like we we you know we had done 140 deals the year before, and we show up in this room and just heard. And it wasn't so much the deal flow, right, and and like the money that people were making, but it was the quality of human beings that were there that really set perspective and almost made me kind of feel like, wow, I got a lot of room to grow as a man. Um, and I just immediately was attracted, you know, to Jason and Leon and Frank and, and all of those guys. And um, I said, man, I got to figure out how to get these, get in their circle. Right. And probably like after the first or second meeting, I started writing in that gold book <laughs> and it was about as outlandish at the time and absurd and audacious as me saying, I want to own an NBA team that I was on the leadership team at collective genius. And, uh, probably about a year in Jason called me for something or I called him for something. I said, Hey, by the way, I want to, I want to tell you something, Jason. He's like, what? And, uh, I said, man, I'm pretty nervous to tell you. And he's like, dude, what? I said, <laughs> it's my goal to be, um, a servant for collective genius and be on the leadership team. And he kind of chuckled and said, Oh yeah. And I said, yeah. He said, well, let's figure out how to make that happen. And I was like, shut up. And he's like, well, I mean, there's something you can do. You can open doors, sweep floors or something. <laughs> said, I'll do it. Just tell me what to do. Right. And so I just kept showing up and kept giving, right. Anytime we had a presentation or anytime there was a group call, I was just always volunteering to do something. And, um, you know, we, we as a company and as an organization were exposed to all the same information as everyone else in the group. But over a course of four years, we just grew exponentially faster, right? Had ex had, had a lot, a lot of success, a lot of quick. And I, I think quickly, and I think people took notice of that. And it was simply because we executed quick and at a high level. Right. Um, and you know, when you grow from a million dollars to 10 million, and you're coming back and you're sharing and giving like the things that you're doing, you know, people take notice. And, you know, I just kept asking, Hey, when, you know, when can I help? When can I help? When can I help? And finally the opportunity presented itself. And like, you know, just, just like going back to the, to the, the story with, uh, 
the first advertising agency, you know, I offered to do it for free. You know, I was just like, give me something. Right. And, and I know that if I connect myself with those guys, I'm just gonna, I'm going to be a, a better human being by osmosis because they're great, such great individuals. What's the impact that you want to make within collective genius? Um, I get selfishly, I get a lot of fulfillment from helping people. Mm -hmm. I think people, you know, uh, they think it's a selfless act to help people, but you help people because it feels good because you know, it's the right thing to do. And so I get, a, I get my cup really filled up from helping people. And so just like the guy that gave me that shot, right at the first advertising agency, he was, he become a mentor, right. And he showed me how to act in certain situations and he showed me how to dress and he showed me how to carry myself as a man with integrity and, you know, if I can just do that for a few guys, you know, men or women, um, and just impact their lives. Right. That's, that's what I'm here to do is, is, yeah. you know, chase my, it's part of my chief definite aim, make, make the world a better place. Dude, that's super awesome. Yeah. So can we transition again? Like talk about, <laughs> talk about like fatherhood? Cause you said you had a kid. She will be nine in December. Wow. So what's that journey been like? I know like. That was nine years ago. And then to this day, I mean, she's still young. And it's like, what, what's the progression look like from, you know, being a parent in the very beginning, like literally knowing nothing to like, you know, now you're nine years seasoned. Right? <laughs> I don't know if seasoned is the word. I, I learn more every day. It's, it's been, it's been neat. It's a little different than probably most people's uh, journey. Um, you know, she come to live with me. Her mom's not in the picture anymore. So she come to live with me a couple of days before she turned uh, two. Mm -hmm. And so it was just me and her for like two to three years. Um, had a lot of help from my mom, but it was just me and her. And, uh, you know, I I probably there, there was a, a an incident or an event that occurred. I was with a friend and he had a toddler at the time. And we were walking in a parking lot, and this is going to sound a little um, harsh, I think, but I think it really plays into to parenthood. But anyway, his toddler fell behind and was running to catch up with us, and he fell and skinned his knee pretty good. It was, it was, you know, it wasn't cut, gashed open, but it was definitely a little blood. And the dad just turned around and said, "Get up, chicks dig scars." And he didn't go and baby him and he didn't run to him and say, oh, my God, oh, my God. And the kid started to cry and then seeing that he wasn't going to get that attention that he would get if he would cry. Because the dad just said that and turned around and walked off. Wow. And the kid got up, wiped off his knee and just kept coming where any other parent would have just ran to rescue him. Right. And so I always mm -hmm. remember that. And so I don't know. My daughter and I just had a. Uh, a different relationship. Like I always treated her like an adult. I always had adult conversations with her. Anytime she's around me, you know, we just have real conversations. Right. And couple that with the fact that all she does, you know, anytime we're in the vehicle or I'm constantly on the phone talking business, working deals. Mm -hmm. And so that's all she hears. So she is super mature for her age. Like, she she busts my balls constantly. Like I'll say something. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like uh, I was talking trash to my wife. I was like, "Yeah, I dominated him on the basketball this court, the court this morning." She's like, "Dad, 
No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you're old and fat and slow. You did not dominate anybody, you know. So she just they jabbed me all day, but she's super independent, man. Since the time she was like four or five years old, she's just she wakes up to her own alarm clock. She gets up, she gets herself ready for school, oh makes gosh. her own breakfast. She's dressed like literally blows my mind. She I will come down and she will be sitting at the table completely ready to go reading a book. Wow. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's what almost, type of book? she just, she's, she's like me. She reads anything she can get her hands on. Right. And so, um, it's, 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 it's almost weird, right? It's too easy. You have a super kid. Super yeah, right? kid. Yeah. She's so smart. She come in the other day and she was like, dad, help me with this math homework, third grade math. And I stared, I just looked at the paper for like 30 minutes. It's like equations, right? Doing arrays, arranging arrays and solving for the equation. And I'm like super embarrassed to admit that I have no idea how to solve this equation. And I tried to Google it. So she begins to get upset a little bit. And finally, she just takes the paper from me and starts crying and leaves. And I'm like, well, damn, my wife will be home in, in a few minutes. You know, Megan's really good at math. She'll help her. You know, I told her, hey... She comes back in, storms back in about five minutes later and just tosses the paper at me. He's like, I figured it out. Thank you. <laughs> um, but no, she she is one of the biggest reasons, uh, I think, for, for my success and me growing up from a, from a boy to a man, you know, is when you have someone else that you're responsible for another life, it changes your mindset a little bit. That's crazy, man, because nine years old, like nine years ago, you were like kind of in a dark place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She, she saw that entire journey as she was growing up. Yeah. She, uh, and I don't know if she's like, you know, has the capacity to understand and, and see it, you know, but we have, you know, conversations now about money. You know, she wants to, she's a little entrepreneur. She's always bringing me business plans of how she's going to start a bracelet making business or something like that. And so, um, the next house I flip, she has her, her job duties and responsibilities. I'm a payer percentage of the profit from what she's done. But we went and walked the property the other day and she like proudest dad moment ever, probably. Um, and I, it was completely organic and I didn't know it was going to happen this way, but I said, Hey, look, we're going to go walk this house. We might flip it. You know, you, you know what you got to do. And I told her like, like she's got to point out the things that need to be fixed and she's got to help Megan design and pick the paint colors and, you know, help her pick the light fixtures and things like that. And we walk in and the, the realtor meets me there and I'm like, all right, Emmy, what do you think? She goes brick on a slab, three, two, probably rent it for $1,200. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but you got to think all she hears me talk is real yeah. estate all day long. And I'm like, so we go in, I'm like, all right, well tell me everything that needs to be done. And she just throws her hand on her, on her hip and she's like, Carpet's got to be replaced with uh, new flooring, new appliances. Those cabinets are garbage. They got to come out. And the realtor's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> Who is this kid? And I'm like, yeah, you know, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, she's highly intelligent, man. Super intelligent. But all parents yeah. say that, right? Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, I, that that sounds kind of different, bro. That, that sounds like, crazy. She's like a qualified project manager, probably yeah. like better than like 99% of collective genius project <laughs> managers. We need I bet her. she could do better than Jenny. She could make like, dialed she, in. She could do better than my partner. Yeah. I had to yeah. fire him. Yeah. He could go back to the acquisition department. <laughs> Dude, I think the move is to have a kid, bro. If that's what it, if that's oh what God. it takes to get to the okay. next level. I want to ask you, like, I know a lot of 
kids grow up seeing their parent spend so much time within their business or their career and they just like they grow up and it's like, I don't want to do anything like dad or I don't want to do anything like mom. And it's like clearly do you have an idea of why your relationship with your daughter and how uh you know she looks up to you or like she likes the things that you do like how does that align because i see a lot of people go the other direction run the other way right yeah well i mean i, I i'm far from perfect bro yeah. like you know we and we did that exercise yesterday at collective genius like what keeps you up at night what yeah. do you worry about and you know the thing that i worry about is is am i giving my daughter and my wife enough right mm-hmm. because and what I told my room is, you know, when I met my wife, we had an understanding that she knew what what I was and what she was getting into with me and my work and how much I worked. And she supported that. But, you know, and I could even see like at the time she was cool with it because she got the diamonds and the nice house and the fancy trips. But I can see now that that she has a nice life, but she wants more, right? I can, I can sense it like that. I have to be intentional to connect with her because money don't buy happiness, right? It helps a lot. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, she still has needs that are beyond monetary, right? And, And to build that connection and make sure that I fulfill what I promised her, which was to be the best husband she could ever ask for. And the same with my daughter, um, you know, and so I, I do worry about that often. And, and I know that there are times that I neglect them more, right? There are times that, you know, I'm in the lab working until eight, nine o'clock. I just come out for dinner and then, or, you know, being down here all week, they're at home, you know, but I do try to involve them. And I think there's, there's a couple guys in collective genius premiere that I really look up to one, one guy, uh, specifically, um, his name is Randy Lawrence. He's a big multifamily syndicator and he's got a little girl who's probably 17 or 18 and their relationship just, you know, and I always, you know, ping him like, man, tell me like, what, what are the conversations? Like she's in his, I think she's still in high school and she's in his business underwriting apartment deals and they're, wow. you know, so they're doing business together and he's involving her. And so that's how I try to approach it with Emmy. Um, and I'm and with my wife, I'm really trying to force myself to learn to work with her because her and I are night and day, but she has an interest and she wants to be included. And I can't, you know, she has a different learning style. So, and, and even to add to that, it's really easy to be for me to be a leader at work. It's tough for me to show up as that same leader at home sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, it doesn't transition it doesn't just switch over like that because you exhaust yourself all day and you put on your your helmet and your shield all day at work you get home and you just kind of want to be left alone but i think it's super important that you still have to show up as that same man at home it's if not more than at work it's it's because you if your home life isn't right you're not going to be the leader that you need to be for a sustainable period of time in your business so how could you be that leader at home when you're feeling drained or feeling exhausted? Because the principles of the leadership are all very similar and sure. very parallel. But literally, how do you squeeze that last bit in order to be there for your family? Yeah, um, I think it starts with admitting it, right? Just like I've admitted it here and I admitted it the other day and at the last premiere event. And what what I tried to do is systematize it. 
right? Uh, I hope my wife don't listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I worked it in. I have my assistant help me with a lot of it, right? So, you know, I worked it out where we have fresh flowers delivered every Friday and a card. And I, I set KPIs for my home life, right? <laughs> a, date, a date night a week, right? Making sure I tell my wife she's beautiful and I love her, you know, several times a week and just things like that. Like trying to understand what does she need to feel loved and to feel appreciated and then to systematize that as mm-hmm. bad as that sounds, but you got to do what works for you, right? I'm really good at creating KPIs and I'm typically pretty good at hitting them. And if that's what I have to do, it makes sense. Why not? Right. And awesome. I think, I think you should have KPIs for your health, for your finances. I mean, even, uh, you know, I, I have a business coach and he asked me, you know, what my 10 year goal was and, to the to the dollar like how much money are you going to have in 10 years and what are you going to do with it and i didn't have an answer for him and so we worked it out and it come down and i um figured out exactly how much money i have to be putting back a week right but if if what would have happened had we not had that conversation is i would get five ten years down the road and maybe i had it maybe i wouldn't but am i willing to risk not having it when i could just put some checkpoints in place to make sure that I'm, excuse me, instilling the disciplines today to reap the result that I want down the road. So how early in your career did you start investing in coaching and how has that changed or helped your yeah, journey? It's, uh, so I think the first kind of coaching we invested in was getting in collective genius because, you know, um, you don't, I don't think you have to pay a coach to coach you to be coached, right? Um, I was having a conversation with Leon yesterday. I'm like, bro, have you ever watched Ted Lasso? Have you guys ever watched that show? It's on Apple TV. It's a phenomenal show. He's a coach and he gets thrown in a really awkward situation, but there's so many leadership principles that are in that, that uh, TV series. And, you know, it's, it's perspective. Like, that show coached me on a few different principles, right? So I didn't have to go out and pay a coach, even though I am a coach, right? I'm, I'm with. <laughs> I didn't have to go pay somebody to extract principles and be coached, right? Even if you're like a player on a sports team and a coach is coaching someone else and working with them specifically, mm-hmm. why can't you watch yeah. and absorb and implement what that person is doing? And so going back to when did we first start? Well, we started kind of with Collective Genius and we got coached up by those people and, and tried to soak in all of that knowledge. Um, but I think our first paid coach was Gary Harper. He came in and integrated um, EOS for us, which, which really helped move the needle. And then after that, uh, we switched over to another paid coach, which was Howard Shore. Uh, he's a phenomenal guy, scaling up coach, wrote the book, Your Business is a Leaky Bucket. Um, you should definitely read that book. Um, and then shortly after that, I, have, I got my coach now, um, I just, I believe in it. Right. And, and the funny thing, and I tell people now they're like, well, what, what do you, what do you and your coach work on? The coach is coach. And I'm like, it's kind of weird actually. Like <laughs> I tell him things and he asks me questions and then I have to go figure it out. Right. So our relationship is, it's not blocking and tackling. It's very introspective and it's very like thought provoking. And he tells me the answer to nothing, you know, which, which kind of drives me crazy, but it it's, teaching me and helping me control my thoughts and craft my thoughts 
which then can craft my language, which ultimately get the desired outcome that I'm seeking, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the big things that I've learned. Like I was part of the Maui Mastermind with Brandon Turner like last year. And then this year, that was like a really big honor as well to be part of that group. But one of the big things that a lot of people got out of those sessions, it was not um, the presentations. It was more so being in the hot seats, like hot seat as in like six people, like similar to our exercise that we did yesterday. Yeah. It's like, oh, what keeps you up at night? Well, we we would just pa- like pound people for like 15 minutes straight. And imagine just like not being able to receive any advice and just being led into a trail of different directions until yeah. you find the right direction. That is like, that's what we need to harp down mm-hmm. more on. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's when I figured out, man. I don't know why I really like real estate. I kind of just like the leadership aspect and sure. I really love empowering other people within an organization. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm at a real estate conference and I don't like real estate. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I was like, I mean, real estate is cool. I mean, I don't hate it. It's just, yeah. I could do other businesses in my sure. entire life and I can apply the same principles and I could find the same fulfillment, the same joy in doing those things as well. But right now I got to stay laser focused on real estate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. real estate is just the product, right? Business is business. A lot of the principles are applicable across different uh, spaces and ecosystems, but you know the fundamentals are, are pretty similar, right? The the house is just the product you're selling. You're really, especially if you're a wholesaler, um, you're running a sales and marketing company. Your product is is real estate, right? Yeah. And so if you move into any other company that's direct to consumer sales or B two B sales. It's the same principles, right? Can be ran off the same management operating structures. Your procedures and your processes may vary, um, but it's still it's still sales. It's still marketing, right? To generate yeah. revenue. Yeah, for sure. I go back to what Clinton Tyler told me this past Friday when we were like talking about the different sales trainers around the country. I'm like, oh, I think this person is like one of the top salespeople in the entire country. And then Tyler or Clint comes in and is just like. Dude, have you see, have you heard Ren? <laughs> Ren is the best. It's like I don't know. Oh, about oh that. no, because he's just like the way that your mind works and like breaking down different people's sales processes. It's like, oh, that guy's way too focused on price. It's like he's not dialing down enough on pain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I don't know, like we're running like these direct mail campaigns, and you know, Josh would tell me this guy wants this price. Are we being deceiving by by not offering it? I'm like. Like, guys, I'm motivated enough because I'm like taking literally from your and Clint's book. And it's just like, we got to go for motivation. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. So how, like, what would, what's your like number one way? Like, do you have a one liner that you always ask people to find their motivation? No, no, no. What you have to realize, like deep down in anything in life with any person, right? When it comes to money. The paper aspect, the money, the physical, the tangible thing, it's worthless, right? It really is. All it is, is it's a tool. It's a vehicle to help achieve a goal, right? And so if a seller says, I need $100,000 for this house, you have to understand what their true motivators are and what they're going to do with that money specifically. And a lot of times, you know, they, they don't know what they actually need, right? It's just a gut feeling. They haven't thought it all the way through. They haven't ran the math. They haven't, you know, itemized out exactly. It's just in their mind, there's this price. And they think if they get this price, it will accomplish this goal. Sometimes it will. 
sometimes it'll more than accomplish it. And sometimes it won't even halfway accomplish it. Right. And so you have to peel back the layers of the onion and understand what their true problems are, how it's impacting their life. And then if that problem was removed, what would be the, the desired end state, right? What does their life look like once they've accomplished this goal? You know, and, and so there, there really isn't, I mean, there's one liners for every part in the sales process that I could give you, but it's super dynamic, right? And, and people relate to different things, different ways. And you try to, you got to kind of understand where they are, right? It's like coaching, for example, if you coach a NBA player completely different than you coach, uh, uh, AU eight year old player, right? Completely different. And, you know, and it's just the different where they're at in their journey as a basketball player, right? What is their basketball IQ? And so it's similar to, you know, bringing that back to working with, you know, anybody that's buying a product or service, what are, what are their needs today and how can you help solve that problem? And if you can solve that problem, you have a better chance of getting a transaction completed. Yeah. I feel like that applies to so many different areas of our lives. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's like people are always trying to find that right solution for them in any instance of their life, whether it's trying to find their purpose or where they're going to work mm-hmm. or what they're going to do next. Right. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I know that for sure. Like I applied that a lot in my life. Like, man. I was talking. I was talking to you in the car, and I was like, "Oh, I convinced my wife to move over from Los Angeles to Delaware." <laughs> yeah. I was like, "How in the world?" Because I was giving my presentation yesterday, and I said the same thing, and they're just like, "Brian was like, are you are you a really good salesman?" And I was like, "I don't know. I'm really good at selling visions." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I can make Delaware sound like the Taj Mahal. It's like exactly. so great, but really, it's like." We got three million chickens, one million people. It's like it's it's like border borderline the sticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you said it was during COVID, right? It was during COVID. Yeah. Well, she was probably sick of living in California, and you know the solution was no mask in Delaware. Yeah. Oh know, yeah, it sounded so much better. It was a very free place in Delaware. I was just like, why don't you just come try it out? I'll fly you out here. You yeah. just test the waters. I'll drive you around. I'll show you to all these different places, and it's like. Yeah, right there. That was the hook. <laughs> got it. Once they, once you got one, once you got one foot in the door. Yeah. Like, my partner says it like, oh, you don't let the vampire into your house. You put one foot in, the second the second one's just gonna fall right in. That's right. It's like you can't get the vampire out of the house until you give them the house. That's right. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, dude. But, That's great. But yeah, man. Um, what's one of your biggest takeaway or one of your biggest pieces of advice that you could give? anybody who is on an entrepreneurial path that I don't want to say like motivation or encouragement because that's very cliche or cheesy, but what kind of, what's like your most regularly given piece of advice that you give to entrepreneurs? That's a great question. I don't think I give a a piece of advice all the time, but I think you just got to do something that you love, right? That, That fulfills you. And you don't, you don't find it intentionally. You find it by just getting out and beginning to do things, right? Yeah. Like if you just look at my, you know, cause, cause one thing that, that people tell me all the time, you know, it's like, you're so lucky you get to, you have found your passion and your calling and you get to do what you want to do and you have a purpose, right? And if you would have asked me 
when I first started in marketing, what my purpose is, I didn't know. Right. And I, I don't think I really discovered it until a couple years ago, but I would have never discovered it if I would have sat around trying to find it. Yeah. Right. And so the biggest piece of advice, especially for somebody early on is just get busy, right? Get busy and stay aware and be consciously looking for that Rudy moment. And when I say that Rudy moment, have you ever, guys ever seen the movie Rudy? Yeah. 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 So at the end of the movie, he gets up on a stool and he's given just this speech, right? He's just giving it to him. And at that point in the movie, like I start to tear up a little bit. And there's a reason it's because number one, he's doing something that is his passion and his calling, but ultimately he's helping his teammates. Right. And that's just so inspiring to me, but that's the moment, you know, that we have to consciously be looking for, like, you'll just be going casually through your day and something will happen. Right. And it moves you emotionally. Yeah. And we have, and if you can figure out how to wake up and go to work and do that every day, you will go further faster because you will be so in flow with what you're doing and so passionate that you, you know, you'll never work a day in your life like they say. And so, but if you don't get out and get to work doing something like you can't just sit back and wait on the perfect opportunity, right? Like working for free, building websites, wasn't <laughs> the perfect opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it allowed me, I got busy and it allowed me to begin working, which opened up another door. Right. And I was the best that I did the best that I could. It opened up a door, which opened up a door, which opened up a door, three doors deep. I found what I'm truly passionate about, you know, um, but that would have never happened if I just was looking for the perfect job and the perfect opportunity. Like, you know, uh, if, if you get caught slipping opportunity, will pass you by. Best advice I can give is get busy and stay aware. Yeah, that's so good. Awesome, yeah. So if someone wanted to reach out to you, where could they ask you questions or is there anything that the viewers could help you with? Get, get, get that MBA team. Yeah. Um, if you want to reach out to me, I've recently got very active on IG. So slide in the DMs on Instagram at Rem Bartlett. Uh, definitely happy to, to chat there. And then as far as help getting that NBA team, just, uh, you know, pray <laughs> <laughs> All right. the rest will work itself out. Dude, that's freaking awesome. Thank yeah. you so much, Ren. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. hundred percent. Absolutely guys. All right. Thanks. That was awesome. Yeah. All, right. All right. Peace everyone.